Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. Welcome to this continuing summer series on the Cyber Guy podcast on origin stories. Today, we're going to talk with Troy Bai. He is the market and business development executive for Mantech here in Huntsville. And he's also the um, host of the Our Town podcast. So we're going to hear his origin story and hear what he has to see about how he got to where he is today. I was on his podcast some time ago, and so he's just returning the favor. So hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy enjoyed interviewing Troy. Um, before we get to that, a couple things. Um, I am working on a new project starting September 1st. I'm going to go to an everyday podcast. It's going to be called the Cyber Smart Minute or something, Cyber Smart News, something like that. I haven't come up with the name exactly, but it's going to be a short form five to seven minute cyber news overview type of story, which would be pretty quick and to the point, kind of give you an understanding of What's going on in cyber newsland? What kind of hacks occurred overnight? What's it mean to you as an individual, as a business owner, and how you can continue to keep yourself safe? If you have thoughts on how you'd like to see that presented, let me know. Uh, so I'm working on that. It'll be a Monday through Friday. It probably won't be Saturday, Saturday, occasional Saturday, Sundays, if there's something big going on, but it'll be a, a weekday type of podcast. So look for that on the horizon. But for today, it's origin stories again. And so here is... Troy Bai. Well, like I mentioned, I want to welcome Troy Bai, the market and business development executive for Mantech and the host of the Our Town podcast here in Huntsville to the Cyber Guy podcast. Troy, thanks so much for taking the time. I was on your podcast year. Was it a year ago? seems like it's been a while. Yeah, over a year. Yeah. And uh, so we're finally returning the favor here. And I appreciate you taking the uh, origin story section to come in because I think as I've done a couple of these now and it's interesting to hear how people got from point A to point B. Absolutely. And uh, my, the pleasure is all mine, Darren. It's good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and just start whichever part of the beginning you want to start off. If you want to start from coming out of the birth canal and go from there, you can. Or if you want to start <laughs> further down the line, you can. Uh, I won't go too far back, but I think, you know, the, the circumstance in our family is such, I think it's worthwhile pointing out that um, both of my parents had had head injuries. And so... You know, I didn't I didn't grow up with my father. His head injury was after he had already been remarried. So I didn't really have a relationship with him. And then my mom had a head injury when I was seven. So um, I didn't really have, you know, my birth parents or, or, or parents to kind of just help, you know, raise me and, and my siblings. We were, you know, somewhat farmed out to our family, but, you know, good loving family. That, that's not that's negative. It was a Still, they met our needs as, as we got older, but I never really asked a lot of questions. I just kind of assumed that we uh, would never really make it in the world. I didn't, I didn't really have any idea of what it was to um, go to college. You know, I wasn't asking questions. I just kind of, I don't know what I really assumed as a kid. I just took life day by day and no one really came up to me and said, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up and, you know, things like that. So. I figured things out later, you know, yeah, gained so, some confidence. So where were you born? I mean, which, where are we talking about? Is it? Oh yeah. So I was, I was born in Salt Lake city, Utah. And then when I was seven, basically we all got on an airplane and flew to Virginia for vacation. And that's where my mother got hurt. She got mm -hmm. hurt um, in Monticello touring Jefferson's home. 
you know, the biggest state there um, outside UVA. Treeland fell on her head, crushed her skull. So she was in a coma for a long time. And and just like that, there, me and my siblings, we lived with our grandparents um, because there was a circumstance which my grandfather or, yeah, my grandfather removed my stepdad from the house. So I won't really get into that. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so we just became residents of Virginia and I started second grade and I never saw any of those kids again that, that I was friends with. Um, I had some younger siblings that have no memory, you know, of, of their mother and, and things like that. So it was, you know, it was different. Um, you know, certainly on my podcast, I've interviewed plenty of people that are uh, have been adopted or they're in the foster system. And and seemingly, I a lot of times we will compare our circumstances to different people. And um, I guess growing up, I just felt like we had this really unique and strange circumstance, right? That perhaps we um, we weren't going to be able to overcome. You know, once our grandparents you know passed away, you know, what what would happen to all of us kids? And so we we weren't. I never really spent a lot of time with my siblings. We were all, again, kind of farmed out and um, never, I lived with my mother, but it wasn't really, she wasn't really a mother. She was um, just there. It's kind of more like a a companion, kind of like sometimes more like a child. Mm -hmm. I was the man of the house and one of my younger brothers lived with me. Um, But, you know, I still was very active in sports and, you know, did things, but I, I started working, you know, young to pay for, to pay for a car and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so, and then that, so I grew up basically in Northern Virginia, you know, in the shadows of the Intel community in which later in life I would, I would go to work for. But, um, um, so then I, you know, I just kind of had this mindset that the reality was if you want to go to college, well, you're going to work and pay for that yourself. And if you want to get married, that's fine. You know, off you go. Um, and that kind of was instilled in me probably the time I was 16, I kind of stopped asking for, for handouts and asking for money and, and then, um, just kind of went that route. So I went to community college for two years because it was, you know, I could afford it and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to study. And I figured I would, if I, if I was paying for the tuition, then I might as well, you know, be careful with what I uh, study and where I go and, and, and that type of thing until I could figure it out. And then, uh, lo and behold, I was working for my, my older sister had a travel agency. And, um, you know, sometimes we look back on our life to just a, 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 these moments, you know, these key moments where someone says something to you and you just kind of run with that advice, you know, or you, you just have some experience that you look back like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. And that happened to me where just a, a friend of mine from high school, this is about four years removed from high school. And I, at this time, I was uh, just about to enter George Mason University there in Virginia and start my the rest of my undergrad. And he came to pick up a paper ticket. This was like the late 90s. So there wasn't e-tickets all the time uh, when you travel. And I had booked travel for him to Colorado. And he came up to pick up the paper ticket and mentioned, hey, you should go into management information systems. You should really study that. You know, what are you studying right now? I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to do business. He's like, no, you really should do management information systems. And so I did. And and I, you know, computers were becoming more of, of a commodity, right? There was mm-hmm. a, basically a PC now for everybody's desktop. And um, there was all kinds of training. You'd hear on the radio all these advertisements for training classes and go to 
get trained in computers or MCSC or whatever it was, all these certifications. And, and in some cases, hey, you don't even need to go to college, right? Just, just do that stuff. And so I just figured a, a career in computers would help me. I did get married when I was 22. And we, I think we had our first child when I was 23. And so I was still trying to finish up school. And so I would go to work full time and I would go to school full time. And I just kind of put myself on this path of just grinding. And all along the way, though, I started to gain a little confidence in myself and my abilities and um, started to build a network, if you will, of, of folks that I could reach out to or, or mentors and, and that type of thing. And so um, I was uh, at, the, at the time when I finished like my undergrad, I spent uh, SEIC was kind of my first real job. I was a test engineer there um, working for DISA, the Defense Information Systems Agency. And then um, I had a friend that helped me get a job at AMS, American Management Systems, which focused on financial management software. And I believe they were bought by what is now CGI. People might uh, be familiar with CGI. And so I went to work for them, you know, earned a little bit more money. And I was finishing, I guess I was finishing or um, wanting to start my master's at that time. I figured, hey, I'm going to get a master's in business. And I had worked for, uh, I realized that you can go work for a corporation and a lot of times they'll pay for that master's. And um, and then when you're finished, you know, you, you have a bit of a payback period. And so uh, I wanted, I think it was like the second day of orientation at AMS, which was a fantastic company, had a great culture. And um, I heard one of the vice presidents talk about the Intel, the Intel um, sector, if you will, of the company and some of the three letter agencies that they, they supported. And it just captivated me. And this was just before 9-11 happened. It was probably the summer of 2001. And so, of course, then 9-11 happens. And then I wanted in. I wanted to do something to to be more patriotic, to give back to the country. I, By choice, I didn't go the military route. I actually served a mission for my church for two years, so I didn't, because I did that, I never thought about enlisting or, or going the military route. But I kind of re, I kind of wish I had. Um, I kind of wish I had spent, had a bit of a career in the military. I think it would really help me even more in what I do now and in, in business development and, and market development, particularly here in Huntsville, around the DOD market. And, um, but anyway, the, the guy's presentation was just very captivating and I didn't realize it at the time, but the government was, was, um, putting, pouring a ton of money into trying to clear people quickly uh, as the, the war on terror was ramping up and counterterrorism was now like the number one thing. And so I just blindly, uh, I saw the, actually, I think I saw the guy in the hallway and waited for him to come out of the restroom. And I asked him, Hey, how do I get a clearance? How do I, how do I get this clearance upgrade? I had had a secret clearance through SCIC, but I never used it, but I wanted a TS. And, um, so he put me in touch with the right people. And literally three months later, um, I was, I was done. I had my TSSCI with a full scope poly. And then, um, I ended up at the, uh, at the agency and this was 2002, August of 2002. And then that's basically where I've been most of my career until I moved to Alabama. So when you, okay, so you went into the agency, I know you probably certainly can't talk, was it for 
um, like, was it for the, to do the information systems like you, your degree was in, or was it more Intel gathering analyst kind of thing? What was the job yeah, role? No, I, per think, se? I, I never went the Intel analyst route. I, um, honestly, for, for me at first, it was again, and totally blind. I had no idea. BAE systems recruited me. They were very good at recruiting. And, um, I just, I think I just applied on their website. The thing I had going for me, I had like, some test engineer background and like I was a business analyst. So I figured I was going to come in and be some sort of business analyst or a, a system engineer and just kind of continue to try to work my way. I, I knew I wanted to be in management, but it was about how do I get there? And so uh, it was just a nice natural step where I was able to use my, my, the experience that I had at that point. And the fact that I did have at this point an undergrad and I was, I wanted to pursue a master's. And so I ended up at headquarters there in Langley and just on a, a team, a huge team that was in charge of testing mm. some of the key um, applications that came out of a particular group. And then once you're in, inside, it's like a lot of government agencies, you know, once you're kind of in there, you, you start making new friends and you start looking around and say, okay, wow, there's some interesting things here. And maybe the, I didn't pick the most interesting thing on the, on the, you know, my initial job. But what else is there? And that's exactly what happened to me. About six months later, I left because I found a really cool opportunity. And I, that kind of really started launching my career within that agency because now I just started to learn more about how they do business and where are the quote-unquote cool jobs. You know, where am I going to get the most satisfaction as a, even as a contractor you know, to coming into work every day? And what was it you were – so going from uh, AMS, right, to – agency through BAE. What was the, what was, what was it you were looking to fill? Like what was like, so you want to be patriotic, right? So what did you, what did you see? Okay. Here's what, here's what I can bring to this patriotic dish. What was that? Well, just real as a quick aside at AMS, um, they only had a small amount of work in the Intel. Mm -hmm. So, um, as much as I was interested, I think they were supporting like patent and trade office or something like that, but they just didn't have a slot for me. So I waited around five or six months and nothing ever materialized and I wanted to use my clearance. So the short answer is I didn't, I didn't know. And I really didn't realize till later, all the friends I did have that just never talked about where they worked. And then I get on the inside and like, Oh wow. Okay. Here's all these people that I didn't realize, including like my little league baseball coach. Um, (laughs) So I, I didn't really know. I mean, to be honest, part of it was I wanted just to make more money. You know, mm-hmm, I, sure. I was married and, and had a child and living in Northern Virginia is very expensive. And I wanted to prove to people that I could come from my humble upbringing and, and be something. Sure. And, and do something. I, I also wanted to make up for the two years that it wasn't lost time. But, you know, it sets you back a little bit when you step away for, for two years. And so I just had this blind ambition that that i would figure things out that i would get this clearance i would i would do something interesting something to hopefully help the nation but i really um was just kind of caught up in that post 9 11 we got to do something about this but i I really didn't have any specific uh, objectives did you find going in you think hey i'm hoping i don't even have any objectives but did you go and think hey i think i can do this 
So you kind of had, maybe you had an idea kind of how you would serve that. And did you end up going, diverting to another area that was more like, hey, I hadn't thought about that, but I'm glad I did it this way. Does that question yeah, make sense? Um, I think I, I was definitely, as far as like a skill, I, I was trying to capitalize on, if you've ever done testing, and then there's also like scripted testing. And I was like, how do you, you know, um, do automated testing and, and create those, uh, those configuration scripts to kick that off? That's really all I had from a um, into into the job I was going into. But then once I was there, I realized what I started to realize was my career was likely going to be I was going to be that government for you know every government manager, every group chief, every branch chief has some sort of right hand man, a right hand woman as a contractor that that essentially, even if that person moves on, they kind of run that office mm -hmm. and they keep things as the government people come and go, there has to be continuity to the operation. And I kind of picked up on that early and that ultimately did be kind of come my niche. Mm -hmm. Some of that would be the, 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 we'll call them a staffer, right? I know that's the vernacular, uh, you know, the staffer government person. If I say that, if I say that, that's success, those are the same mm -hmm. terms, but, um, they're always looking for a way to put, you know, to get promoted or to do something big, put a feather right. in their cap. Yep. And so as a contractor, what you're trying to do is help them like, okay, how can I help you? You have this budget, you are in this position that may be even unfamiliar, you know, to, to their background. And what is it you're trying to build? And my expertise became just working the bureaucracy side. How do you get things done? Okay, you have this pile of money and uh, and you have this objective and you kind of know how to do it, but I can help you because while you spent some of your career doing other things, I've been working on my career on how to help someone like you actually get this done. You're gonna need the help of the enterprise IT people. You're gonna need the help of the, the cover mission. You're gonna need the help of on and on and on. And somehow I, was that was impressed upon me early enough to say, Hey, just be, make yourself indispensable to that government um, manager that you're going to support. Yeah. Cause and I gotta always think, remember you're there to support them. Right. Cause I gotta think every government manager came in, wasn't like, this was, this was a, probably a promotion for them, right. Going to, to mm -hmm. oversee your group. And they were coming from, like you said, from some other area that this was not their specialty area. And they're probably going to be there for two years, maybe. So you had to have that, right. like you said, that frequent turnover. Did any of them come in that kind of knew what they wanted to do? Or did they all come in and say, okay, I, where's the manual on how to make this happen? So the, the, the greatest example I have, so I work for Mantech now. I've worked with Mantech for two stints. And when I was in, on, in operations, direct billing, the two stints I did with Mantech were the same group. And that government manager, it, it, it was almost like, he was Mark Zuckerberg or chamber, like any, any of these people that we refer to having built something from the ground up, right. And made it extremely successful. Like you could pick any entrepreneur out there. I shouldn't just say Mark Zuckerberg, but this, this um, particular job fit him so well. And, and it was, he had a chance from the ground up to build something. And then of course we were there as his contractor and together the the pm that i ultimately took over for we shared that that passion every single day this guy had a, an hour-long commute 
And he would come in at 6 a.m. and he would usually leave at 8 or 9 p.m. and be back at 6 a.m. He loved that job. And he stayed for at least nine years. I mean, they tried to kick him out multiple times, but he became pretty savvy on on how to stay. And it was so fun to work with this guy. His name was Larry because it was the closest thing I think you can get in kind of government contracting where you really felt like you were a part of a startup. Mm. And with, with every success we had, he would get a little bit more money. He'd get a little bit more authority. He'd get a little bit more power. And we all benefited from that. And we did some incredible work together. And we were small enough that we were kind of underneath the red tape and the bureaucracy of, of what other uh, system developers might have to do. And so we had a lot of autonomy, um, flexibility, and it was we were like just super productive. So he's probably what the it, that tarnished me in a way because not that wasn't always the case. But I, I got to spend quite a bit of deal of time with him and just it, it was amazing. So I think you saw a lot of evolution of technology there, because if you're starting in the early 2000s, rolling through the 2000s into the 2010s and stuff, all the federal agencies were trying to figure out technology and how to make it work and how to use it effectively. I mean, I would think probably NSA was probably at the forefront of kind of figuring out what they needed to do. But I mean, I know the Bureau was was always behind because they always had this idea, hey, we should just create our own software, which was always great. Did the yeah. agency have that same thing? We're going to create everything in-house and use it. Or did they, were they a little more open thinking to let's take this commercial stuff and figure out how to incorporate it in? It, it kind of depends. The answer kind of depends on um, if you, I would say, and I think it's safe to say, if you were in a very specific mission set, you use whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And the only time you would have to use some like the enterprise stuff was was for just the systems to communicate with you know the re- and i say enterprise if, if you're a government person you have to still do your time card you might have to book your travel you need to the, you know just uh, all of us that are employees right and we have an employee um website or intranet that gives us services same thing for the government there were times i worked on the enterprise side and it was very slow it was very outdated because it's so big mm-hmm. and it's hard to sometimes push out a change some somewhere and then it breaks something else and then you roll back and then you, you pause, they change the contractor or whatever. Those, those things are difficult when you work, you've got tens of thousands of employees spread out all across the world. But, and I think that's why you would see most contractors will say, oh, I want to just get back to the mission. And what they're saying is I want to go back to where there's just this 20 or 30 people I'm working with whatever we wanted to do, we did it because it was in the name of mission. And that technology though can look very different, of course, from, from one area to the next. And so um, there is no one size fits all there because every, you know, every objective was different. Every customer was trying to accomplish something different, but when you, but you know, it was slow and antiquated when it came to a lot of the stuff we did because it was vital that you know certain communications around the world were were um, were accurate. They were timely, and it's hard to undo that, you know. And any um, after decades and decades of using a certain technology, that's not something that really anybody wants to stick their neck out and try to upset the apple cart. Sure, um, we did. I mean, I know that they at, at one point we finally moved away from like domino infrastructure to 
uh, Microsoft Exchange. And that was a painful, painful <laughs> thing. But there was a staffer who was willing to put their neck on the line. And they, it took a lot of abuse. And it, it takes a long time to, to have a whole agency go, you know, move to another platform. But ultimately, it was something that had to happen. Because sometimes these vendors, are they go out of business or they stop supporting a certain version. And you have to move with yep. the times. So you were there from 2002 till how long, how long were you with, with the agency? Till 2021. Is that when you moved to Huntsville? And, um, mm-hmm. At and the, the end of 21, yeah. Okay, and so what brought you to Huntsville? So I was running the Insider Threat program um, that Mantech has has had with that customer for a long time. We won our recompete in the summer of 21, and I was just at a point in my life where, as I told you, I spent most of my growing up years in Virginia, and I wanted out. <laughs> I wanted to try to experience something else, you know, you you see friends and family who leave the area successfully and go do other things in other parts of the country or the world. And I just was tired of the commute. I was tired of the grind and the keeping up with the Joneses in a way that, that and I was just ready for a change. I mean, again, nothing ill against Virginia. I love it, but I just, it was my time. It was our time to try something else. And so it just so happened that the Bureau and a lot of the work that we, um, our company supports the Bureau now, um, we have a lot, of, a lot of different contracts and such. And now with the Bureau saying, hey, we're going to come down to Huntsville and build the second headquarters. As a company, it just makes sense to migrate kind of with that customer you have. Um, so there's a bunch of work uh, that we would hope to win that's slated to move down to Huntsville uh, with the Bureau. And then um, there's other stuff that we would hope to retain, whether that, that transitions here or not. But my my role has, since that time, um, you know, and the Bureau's having a challenge getting people here, as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Right? Any any uh, any contractor or government is going to have a hard time when you just kind of say, hey, we're going to open 6,000 jobs in some other part of the, part of the country. It's going to take a while to fill that out. So my role has changed where I'm not just tied to the Bureau and, and my job is all of the market operations uh, for Mantech here in Huntsville. Okay. And so let's move from that. So you got here and you decided to start doing a podcast. What was the, what was the impetus for that? Well, hold on, before I, before we get to that, I got to ask a question. So what yeah. did your commute change from, from your commute in Virginia to your commute in uh, Huntsville? Well, the thing about Virginia, so my last commute was 50 miles one way, Ooh. but I will tell you, it took me an hour and 10 minutes and I've had commutes there where I, I drove six miles that took me an hour and 10 minutes. Right. So I felt like it was always relative. Most people were spending anywhere from a half hour to an hour on the road every day. And then some people by choice were two hours away or, or longer, but, um, so 50 miles, but that was just, a, we moved, we just kept moving further West as we lived in Northern Virginia, cause it just got more and more expensive or our family grew and we wanted a bigger house and, I just felt like, hey, I'll take one for the team. Everyone else is cool. Nobody else has to commute but me. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be the sacrificial lamb that way. But after five years of doing that, fifty mile drive, it was just, it was a nice break. Now down here, I'm maybe seven miles from the office. I don't necessarily have to come into the office every day. I, I'm used to that, right? Mm-hmm. Having been on site for so many years, I'm used to being around other people, and and I kind of like the office environment, but. I have that flexibility if I choose to work from home. So were you west on 66? 
No, I was out past on the Greenway. Oh, okay, so you were okay. I, was, I came from Winchester. I never uh-huh. did sixty six, but I did Route Seven uh-huh. or the Greenway, uh, Prince primarily. Gotcha. All right, so podcast. So you got to Huntsville and you decide, hey, I'm going to do a podcast. Where did where did yeah, what was so the inspiration I, there? About ten years when my um when my older son was in eighth grade, I decided to try to start my own like little sports television station type thing. Um, it, it was in the early days of live streaming. I don't think anything was a, called a podcast back then, but I would interview the coaches. I would do coaches shows for these two high schools. And then we would, um, live stream the games. And, um, I had a color analyst. I had a statistician. We had instant replay. We had four cameras. It was quite a setup. And I, I enjoyed that. Um, tried to make it a profitable thing, but unfortunately back then, they would charge the content creator for viewer hours. So mm. it was very, very expensive to live stream a game. It would cost me anywhere from 200 to a thousand dollars every game, just based on uh, demand or who was watching. So I had this itch of video production and, and doing podcasts and interviewing and, and stuff that just came from that. And so then when we moved here, and now I'm in this role with my company where, hey, we need to develop our presence and we need to get to know people and get to know the community. I felt like, hey, I should start a podcast. This would really help me to to meet people, not just maybe in my industry, but just the community. Right. And I, I only knew one person in Huntsville, a friend of mine from years back. And uh, I think I'd been here two or three months and I had a lot of the same equipment that I used to use. Um, when I was doing my, my prior podcasts and prior live streaming, I bought, I had never really done the whole in studio thing with lights. And so that, that was a little bit of a struggle for me to get that to where I feel like it was good. But, um, yeah, mostly it was just, how do I get, how do I get to know North Alabama? How do I fall in love with, with North Alabama? And, you know, cause I was somewhere for so long where I knew everything about Northern Virginia. I've, I've driven on literally every road within you know, hundred square miles. And so I started with the trash pandas just because we were sponsoring a game and I had met their sales guy. And then the next guest, somebody referred me to my next guest and I just kind of spent maybe, and then I met you. I think I just, I met you at the cyber summit or I saw you at the cyber summit. No, you asked John, Sal- no, you asked, you asked John Salanto if he could come on and he was still an active agent, he said, I can't, oh. but I got a friend of mine called the cyber guy. You can go ask him. So that's, yeah. kind of, that's how we kind of, but, met I, had, but I saw you afterwards, even before that, I saw you at that first cyber summit. No, it was actually and, after, uh, I know it was, yeah. So I didn't, I had done this. Oh yeah. So, so the year before, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, right. We didn't talk at the cyber summit, but you saw I was, cause I was near the Mantech booth that year. That's right. The first year. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And so then, you know, I guess and it, it's worked. I mean, it's really helped me uh, on many fronts. Some of it's just, hey, what are the nonprofits that are here? What, what's the what's the history of economic development? Um, who are the who are the players? You know, who are the mayors and um, what's their history? And 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 now it's just it's fun just to um, just kind of cast that net mm-hmm. and uh, see who's willing to come on and tell their story or you know represent their their brand or their organization but i mean i guess you know in strict honesty it was just how do i how do i get to know this area and then how do people get to know me 
So that whether that's through the podcast or through Troy by, or, you know, my company and that those were just the thoughts that were going on in my head. Cool. How have you, how have you liked it? So, so, so now do you love that? No, do you love Northern Alabama? If it was to come up and figure out if you could love oh, Northern yeah. Alabama? Oh yeah, absolutely. I wish we had moved here many years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the 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 outside of Alabama understanding of Alabama is not what is actually Northern Alabama. I think we can both say that it's the perception slightly different than the reality. Yeah, that's true. I've, I heard some things when I first moved here, like Huntsville. We don't go by our last name, and I've heard uh, <laughs> what else did I hear? There was something else that I can't I can't remember. And I think my son one time. Um, I had to take him somewhere. He had to go weigh in for wrestling in some other county. I said, now, Jason, uh, when we leave Huntsville, you're going to start seeing Alabama, right? You're going to hear what pe- what <laughs> the, the perceptions that people have. You're going to start seeing it. It's going to be very different as we make our way to, you know, to where we're going. Right. But. So what's the. Uh, so now I. Oh, go ahead. So I was going to say, tell everybody how to find. How do you, how do people find your podcast? If it's, So it's live streamed. And do you. Or do you record it and then stream well, no, it? No, I don't. I don't do a live. I, I could do it live, but um, basically, it's in video. It's on. I have a YouTube channel, so it's Our Town Podcast. And then um, on the on the true podcast side, um, Spotify, Apple, Google, basically any. You- nope. Looks like we cut out in the middle of his talk. He kind of he is frozen on my screen. Let's see if he comes back. I'm going to say that that looks like a no. So I guess, well, that's okay. We're at 32 minutes. So I'm not sure if he can hear me on his side, but he, Troy, you've frozen on my side. And so we are going to uh, say thank you so much for coming on. That's Troy By's origin story. You can, oh, there you go. You're back. Hello. Yep. I got you back. Yep. Yeah. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're in the middle of a, you were in the middle of saying something and it froze on me. So yeah. So uh, you're on all the, on the normal podcast channels. Uh, how often do you publish oh. once a week? Once a week. Um, Basically, on Tuesdays, for everybody who's a subscriber, you'll see it go out Tuesday. I promote on Wednesdays. Who's up this week? Um, uh, this week, as far as my releasing, it's a guy named Tim Connect. He's a singer-songwriter. It's my first guy with a guitar. Came into the studio and and talked all about his upbringing, and which was a wild story, but then just kind of how he manages his career. Awesome. And um, where you can, you know, he'll talk all about where you can see him, you know, throughout Huntsville and playing his playing, you know, doing his craft. You know, the thing I like about your, your podcast is, is a little bit of origin story and then a little bit of just other stuff that of, of that person's interest or that individual. I like the one where you, you brought in one of the news anchors and you switched desks. So she had to interview you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she interviewed me. That's back when the lighting was really bad. And that was like right after I've interviewed you. Yeah. I was number nine. I was pretty I proud thought, to be, I, I, was, a redo, Darren. I was proud to be in the top in the single digit ones. That was good. That's right. You're number nine. Yeah. Until the, the screen, the picture of me and my high school musical came up on the screen. Then I wasn't so excited anymore, but it was, it was all good. Troy, thanks so much yeah. for coming on. I appreciate you uh, opening up and telling us how you got from point A to point B to point C. I hope it's been a good journey for you. Yeah. Seems like it has. I really appreciate your time, Darren. Thank you. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Thanks. So once again, I want to thank Troy Bai for joining me on the Cyber Guy podcast to give his origin story. Always fascinating to see how people got from point A to point B to point C. Um, So we will continue to do this through the summer. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, um, there's a link in the show notes for the Calendly invite. You can just sign up a time and we will record it. 
Um, as you go through your week, no knowledge is protection. If you understand the threats targeting you, you can assess your risk, proceed wisely. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, download, and comment on the podcast. You can follow me at uh, LinkedIn at Darren Mott. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as the Cyber Guy, Cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. Feel free to email me with questions, thoughts, comments, Darren at thecyberguy.com. Have a great week.